This Guardian Family podcast is sponsored by Jump, the savings fund for children. To find out more, visit jumpsavings.com. Hi, I'm Miranda Sawyer, and this is the Guardian Family podcast, sliding down your chimney to munch on your Yule log. Coming up this month, mums in their 40s, like me, I've just had my second child. How do you deal with other people's reactions to your being an older mum? My brother was slightly horrified and he said, do you realise that, you know, when you're in the school playground, everyone will think you're a grandmother? And with Christmas Day approaching, what do the elderly residents of an East London estate do each year? They party with each other. Usually we've got told off in the other years because we make too much noise. Who cares, it's only one night a year. Well, one night, two nights, three nights, it all depends how many parties we can get out of. My kind of girls. Plus, author and broadcaster Lem Sisse talks about being given up by his Ethiopian mother in his family playlist. This is the family podcast from The Guardian. And with me in the studio this month are The Guardian's Dr Louisa Dilner, who writes about becoming a mother for the fifth time in her much-loved weekly column in The Guardian family section, and author and columnist India Knight, whose new book, Comfort and Joy, is just out. Welcome to both of you. Headphoned? Festive? Fully. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, congratulations are in order, Louisa, I hear. Yes, I recently got married. And feeling good? Yeah, I feel very married. Excellent. Yes, I can uh, borrow my husband's socks and he doesn't shout at me. It's great. Oh, this completely changed. Really changed. And um, how long ago did you meet your partner? About 14 years. So we didn't rush into it. Yeah, you knew it was right. Uh, tested it out. <laughs> yeah, we tried it out. I mean, it's, it was sort of at the, at the wedding. We were probably being together for the least amount of time out of all my friends. So it didn't feel like an enormous achievement, but it was just a great day. Actually, somebody said to me, um, they said the reason for doing it is if you don't have a wedding, then you never have any sort of public celebration yeah. of the fact that you're together. And I'm, I'm really into sort of life-affirming things. I think have a party, you know, as often as, as possible and invite all your friends around because uh, those are the sorts of things that you remember. Yeah, that's true. And India, you've had a party recently, haven't you? I have had a party recently from which I've now recovered. It took um, a mere 48 hours. Because of my advanced years, I find the hangovers, you know, are more persistent. But you rev yourself up for longer as well. You're really, really overexcited in the manner of a five-year-old for longer <laughs> and then much iller afterwards, like somebody who's eaten too many cupcakes. And what did you have your party for? I had a party to celebrate the launch of my book, Miranda, since you ask. <laughs> and what's your book called? My book is called Comfort and Joy, and it's a novel um, set around this time of year. So seasonal, you see? Seasonal. This is why we're here. Yeah. You're here. Seasonal, set over three Christmases, um, the Christmases of a, uh, a family that is quite... Um, some would say dysfunctional, I would say modern, um, and it kind of charts their Christmas course over three years. As an elderly prima gravida and an even more ancient secunda one, I recently had my second child at the age of 43. In fact, my daughter Frankie Mae has come to the studio with me. So we're going to try and get a reaction from her. <laughs> Although I think people won't believe that she's here. But uh, you two can say she is here, isn't she? No, I think we should say she isn't and you've made the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> she's here. No, little, she is here and she's lovely. Here. She's so asleep that we... Oh, no, I did it. I stuck a bin in her. I'm sorry, darling. Oh, she's got back. That's phew. That was, that was very good. That's she's perfect, born to broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Although the NHS reacted to my age with controlled panic, not one page of my notes didn't mention my age before anything else, more and more women are following the example of Madonna and Sam Taylor Wood, and I like to think, me and Louisa. 
and having their children in their 40s, just under 27,000 in the UK in 2009. Our reporter, Gabby Koppel, who had her third child when she was 41, a mere spring chicken, spoke to several older mums, including Miriam, who became pregnant for the first time at the age of 48. I still have a very good group of school friends who I sort of see twice a year and we've all kept up with each other and their children are all now university age. And uh, we went to, we went to a, a, a barbecue and they're all sort of sitting around and uh, I said, well, I've got a bit of news. I'm, I'm pregnant. And honestly, it was just like jaws open. And Miriam's immediate family weren't that tactful either. My brother... <laughs> was was sort of I suppose slightly horrified and he said do you realize that when you know when you're in the school playground everyone will think you're the grandmother I belong to the generation of women who put off having kids while we got busy with our careers being 41 when I got pregnant with my youngest raised a few eyebrows amongst the medics and prompted a battery of extra tests some of the more excitable daily papers are keen to remind us on a regular basis about the health risks to older mums. So maybe it's not surprising that some of us are terrified. Janetta's fears were compounded by stories of her mother's bad pregnancy experience. And then, matters got worse when she really did get ill. I was concerned about being older, so I basically spent the entire pregnancy thinking I was going to die. Um, And So all my fears about being pregnant, which had stemmed from my mother actually, of course, came true. And that's when I thought, oh, my God, she was right. I should never have done this. I should never have got pregnant. This, this, it's, it's all going to go wrong. It's, it's a terrible mistake. So I got very panicky about the whole thing. Even without health problems, I found my stamina flagging. At 42 with a new baby, my social life came to a standstill. Louise found that once her baby was born, she simply couldn't carry on the lifestyle of a wild party animal. I remember when I was about 25, I you know, used to work full time and I'd go out till 4 or 5 in the morning and then go to work the de- next day and do a full day's work. I mean, yes, I was a bit hungover, but I, I, did, I did function and I'd probably go out the next night as well. No, no way. No, no. So, yeah, definitely, it's definitely down to age. If I went out a lot, then I would just be like a zombie all day. And I don't want to do that. You know, I've waited this long to have a child. I actually want to enjoy it and be able to have fun with him and and not be sloping around the house feeling half dead all day. And then, a few years down the line, there's sports day at school. And it's parents join in and I think, oh, Christ, no, I can't. Oh, no, I can't do the 200-metre run. I can't even do a one-metre run. And that kind of thing where sometimes I'll just make excuses and just say, oh, you know, bad foot, bad leg, whatever. And I just think, no way can I do this because they're, they're all 20 years younger than me. Even if you've come to terms with the idea of being an older mum, there's always a suspicion that your child hasn't. Miriam and Janetta. I think on pure vanity terms, I worry uh, for him, you know, when he's sort of 10, 12, 14 you know, it'd be nice to have a mum who looks gorgeous. I think one time when I did, I was quite amused, was um, Jake told me they'd all been asked to write an essay at school about their parents. He, he described what I did and, and, you know, everything about me and what I looked like and I'd got red hair and, and this, that and the other. And, and then I very tentatively said, did you say how old I was? And he said, um, well, actually, I said you were 37. And I went, oh, my God, <laughs> did you say that and very very sweetly he said I didn't think you'd want people to know you were older (laughs) but despite all the issues everyone seems to agree that having a child later on definitely changes life 
for the better. I've been there, I've done that, I've travelled, I've worked, I've, I've done most of the things I wanted to do, um, so I don't feel any yearning to be out there travelling the world or even um, going out and partying, because I've, I've done so much. I've been really lucky, I've had a, I've, I've had a really brilliant life if I'd really known what I was going to get from having a child I'd have yes I probably would have done it a long time before it's it's been absolutely wonderful it's the most wonderful experience it's better than anything I've ever done it's what every parent says and I just love it I love being a mum I love having my son he's the best thing that's happened to me I absolutely Ah, oh, what a nice way to finish that piece. So, Louisa, you've recently become a mum a fifth time, I think, at the age yep. of 48. Yep. Do any of those stories chime with you? Well, I certainly thought I was going to die when I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, I remember and that was I've different done, from your other pregnancies. Yeah, and I remember thinking, I've done a terrible thing. I'm going to make my other children, you know, orphaned or motherless. And what have I done? But I couldn't get any doctors to take any interest at all in me. I was going around saying, you know, do you know how, how old I am? Do you know how old I am? And they sort of loads of people have children that age now, you know. And, and if you sort of conceive naturally, then, you know, it's nature's way, you're going to be fine. And I was like, you know, no, I'm not going to be fine. Test me, test me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I know he was terribly interested. So I didn't have that experience. People were pretty relaxed. Um, I did worry about being the sort of oldest mum in the playground. But at the end of the day, what can you do about that? And uh, I've got some very attractive younger daughters who can sort of go and pick her up if I feel I'm looking too bad on any particular <laughs> school day. I, didn't go, I wasn't going out anyway because I had too many kids, so I didn't really sort of miss um, a social life. And I think what's rather lovely is that actually people are very generous to me. I thought I would be pelted with stones as I walked down the street and people would go, shame on you, what have you done? You've been reading the Daily Mail too much. That's well, something like that. And, um, but people were really generous. Although jaws dropped... You know, mothers were very, um, you know, the other mothers at school, for example, you know, I mean, <laughs> the jaws dropped, they did say congratulations. I did look at them keenly to see if they were just sort of having a bit of a laugh. But um, they were genuinely terribly kind and, and you know, brought stuff round for me that their kids had grown out of. And it was a really sort of wonderful, touching experience, actually. Do you think that that was partly because it was your child was naturally conceived? If you'd kind of decided that you wanted to have IVF at the age of 48, do you think people would have reacted differently? Perhaps there, there is more of a sort of judgmental element about having IVF when you're older. But often people understand that for many women, you know, that's their chance of having a baby. And, and few women who are mothers would begrudge another woman doing that, I hope. It's interesting, all of this. I had my first child when I was 26. My memory, I may be wrong, but my memory is that it wrote that I was an elderly prima gravida on my notes from St. <laughs> Thomas's as well. Because I remember being fairly outraged because I was relatively within my circle of girlfriends, relatively young. Um, and then I had my daughter when I was 38. So, so with my two sons, who are now uh, 18 and 15, I have the thing at parents' evening of being the youngest mother in the room. Uh, and when I go and collect my six-year-old daughter from school, I'm among the oldest. Um, and actually, what you realise with the passage of time is that none of it means anything. You know, no one's going to give you a medal for banging one out quite early, and no one's <laughs> going to give you a medal for banging one out quite late. I mean, I can personally think I, I would. I think you're pretty horrible to begrudge anyone yeah, conceiving yeah, a child. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah, no, <laughs> if somebody wants a child and they're really desperate for it, and they go through you know the horrors of IVF, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, well, no, really, absolutely. you know, let them have it. Although <laughs> I say that I do, I do do kind of Daily Mail style wincing. There's, there's, a, I think she's the oldest. Uh, woman to have conceived. Well, she's in her seventies. She's in her late sixties, and 
God bless her, she looks in her late 60s. And I do get quite cross looking at pictures of her saying, I want loads more. Yeah. Because I just think, well, you're going to probably be dead before their 15th birthday, and that's not lovely. Yeah, that's no. not lovely at all. Mm. No, so I, w- I did a bit of that wincing, which is why I felt even worse. It was a bit of what goes around comes around. Mm. Because I remember there was somebody <laughs> who was sort of 65, and, and, and I, you know, I felt that. I thought, oh, my goodness, is that the right thing to do? And then, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you're not 65. You're not 65. <laughs> Big difference. And how did your um, other kids react to you? getting pregnant i thought they would be mortified i thought that uh, my 19 year old daughter in particular would just think the whole thing was just unspeakably ghastly and um Is i was that like just the reaction of a 19 year old to her i just thought i mean stop. yeah exactly and the idea that i'd have sex was just too abhorrent you know for words but actually she was absolutely <laughs> lovely and in fact she did say to me said you know why would you have thought i'd have thought anything other than Aww. it's wonderful The festive season is upon us, for most people, a family time with all the associated sherry and shouting. But we've searched out a more unconventional Christmas lunch on the Nightingale Estate in Hackney, East London. The residents there may not be related, but they all feel part of a family. At the centre is 73-year-old pocket rocket Alice Burke. Each December, Alice and fellow neighbour Noreen Kearney transform the estate's luncheon club into a beautiful Christmas dining hall for themselves and their elderly neighbours. Sarah Peters had a glass of mulled wine with a dynamic residence at the luncheon club of the Nightingale Estate. As you get older, you don't want to sit in your house with four walls. You've got to come out, get out in your community, somebody of your own era. And they're no different now than they were 50 years ago. They'll do the same now. I mean, a young chap comes into luncheon club, ooh, you know, they're all, they're all over him. We've got the police came it was the halloween and of course we'd had a bit of trouble outside with the lads and um they came in and they would come on have a dance and they touching their bottoms i'll tell you they they, these girls are real real girls so let's talk about the luncheon club and particularly christmas day lunch because that's when you all come together you don't go off with your separate families you're here as a as a for a big family lunch. Can you talk about that get-together? What goes on? Well, it's usually about November, late October, November, that they start saying, right, Noreen starts getting the list out. Who wants the lunch? Who wants to come to the lunch? What do you want? Everybody's talking about it. You come, you come into the lunch? Yeah, of course I am. Are you coming to lunch? Yeah, of course I am. I wouldn't miss that. This is how it goes on and on and on. What are the starters this year? Starters are prawn cocktail or soup. Oh, I tell you, my dear, we live good here, I'll tell you. And nothing but the best on this in these tables all the year round, but extra special at Christmas. And Noreen's family usually come and decorate all the hall, and it looks like a high-class place. So, Noreen, come a bit closer here, because you're one of the organisers, aren't you, of uh, the Christmas Day lunch yes. at the Luncheon Club. Yes, Tell me, how much planning goes into it? I get involved with whatever, whatever is going on in the Luncheon Club. After the Halloween party, we have to start beginning to look for the Christmas party. At the moment, we've got 57 people coming for Christmas dinner. Now, why don't all these separate people go to the, for those who have families? So that's traditionally where people spend Christmas Day. Why, why does everyone gather here at the luncheon club on Christmas Day? Because they're all on the same age. Ages. It's age, isn't it? Because we're all over, most of us are over 60s and 70s and 80s. And we all sort of stay in the one group we all talk about more or less the same things don't we you know talk about our pains and our aches and that like you know didn't sleep last night 
And you wouldn't be able to have those conversations with your own individual no, you families? No, not. No, you would not. You, because they don't want to hear about you having your pains and your aches, do they? They say, oh, not again. Go to the doctor, take a pill. But not when you're with your own kind of people, as I call these people my kind of people. Loneliness is a terrible thing. But in the luncheon club, you do not have to be lonely. You can come in here any morning and sit and have a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, slice of toast if you want, or have your full lunch at 12 o'clock. And you want to be here at that time and hear the laughs and the shouts. They're all taking the mickey out of each other at the tables. Come on, you're laughing now. Somebody sitting between, between Noreen and me is, uh, now what's your name? Oh, I, now you're oh, Maisie. Maisie. I can yes. read from your necklace, Maisie. Oh, so tell me, Christmas Day, were you here for Christmas Day yes, lunch last year? Yes, Now tell me, what was the atmosphere like on Christmas Day? Beautiful. It was really beautiful. I didn't want to go home. I was enjoying myself so much, I was. So, uh, you know, plenty of drinks, what you want is there for you. Did you get, get up and dance? Oh, yes, get up and dance. So it doesn't sound like it's a very quiet affair. It sounds like quite a rowdy Christmas lunch. It's lovely. We all chat around the tables, we do, you know, have a laugh and that's it. And then when we're finished, drink. Oh, you a bit, you know, get in there and do what you want to do. Yeah. So there's a lot of dancing after yes. you clear the tables away and then there's quite a lot of dancing. Yes. Start jigabugging, you know. <laughs> what kind of um, what kind of music do uh, do you all dance to? Oh, they got all different music, but uh, the music I like is reggae. That's the reason I I love reggae. Well, I get up all the time on the floor. I do. This year, I'll make me way in there and enjoy my life. Yes, because I got no children or anything like that. Just me and my husband, and I got married in this these flats thirty years ago. Sitting next to Ray is uh, Barbara. Barbara, were you at Christmas, the Christmas party last year? Yes, yeah, I was. Can you explain what it was like? What described really your, your highlights? My highlights was very high. <laughs> um, yes, um, I, I go to town when I come in. I can tell you that. You know, you can ask Maureen and the girls. I go to town. I really have a good time. Does everyone dress up to, go, to come yes. to the party? Yeah, we all dress up lovely, all, all lovely clothes and everything else, and it's fantastic. So I'm very grateful that I've met all these lovely people, and that's most essential. Unfortunately, this year, Hackney Council has decided that social services will not be funding the luncheon clubs in the same way that they've been doing it every, for years. If it does shut, or if we don't get the funding, I don't know what will happen. And that is the honest truth. I'm praying every night that something turns up, that we do get what we want it's all very well we're all happy and laughing and joking but we're having to live with this at the moment and it's a, a big shadow over us for christmas day itself you're obviously planning quite a lot ahead of time but are you able to sort of kick back and kind of enjoy it yourself oh. and relax yes what um we yeah i'm only a baby yeah all the music that we have here we they usually start with a bit of um rock and then a bit of soul and a bit of jazz and uh, of course by the end of the evening we have a few sing songs and all the old music comes out then what kind of songs do you sing? some of the war songs um, White Cliffs of Dover Old Man's a Dustman then a few more 1930 songs and I can't tell you what they are they're usually dirty ones <laughs> couldn't tell you with this company what I used to sing 
I was in the army for four years, so you can imagine what it was like. Because we didn't sing the words they sang to the songs. No, it was we. Noreen, family in to do it for us. They lay all the tables, they dress the hall, but then we've got our caterers come in and does the cooking. We just relax and sit and have our meal and dance the night away then, if we're capable. <laughs> Does anyone have any sore heads the next day? Oh, sore heads, sore bodies, feet that won't work. A headache that you, can, you can't speak too loud. We turn the phones off because that will kill us. Um, some of us can't get out of bed until after midday. That's because of all the dancing. Yes. That's all the dancing and the ferality that goes on. Usually we've got told off in the other years because we make too much noise. So now it's your turn to make the noise. Or the younger, the younger residents start complaining, do they? Yes. Oh, what was happening last night? You weren't half noisy. Oh, we were coming out of the party. Well, just remember, we're sleeping when you come out. Sorry, now you know how we feel in all the rest of the year when we've tried to get some sleep. <laughs> Who cares, it's only one night a year. Well, one night, two nights, three nights, it all depends how many parties we can get hold of. Excellent. If we can find an excuse to have a party, my darling, we'll find one. How great is that? <laughs> I'm just going to change my Christmas plans completely and go, and go move in there. That was fantastic, wasn't it's it? It's one of those things that makes you long to be old. It can't yeah. come soon enough. <laughs> I, know, yeah, exactly. I want to hang out with them all the time. Brilliant. Yeah. Especially touching policemen's bottoms. Especially <laughs> bottom touching, yeah. <laughs> you don't often hear the word frivolity. I love that word. It's a great yeah. word, isn't it? You think, yep, absolutely. And I find as I get older, I find really much older people really, really interesting. I gravitate naturally to them rather than sort of younger people. I think I've given up now. And, uh, <laughs> that's true, that's happening, doesn't and, it? And, and, I, and I think you're so interesting, yeah. you know, you're yeah. so interesting. And, um, and so that party, I, I find, has all the ingredients of kind of what I'm looking for, really. Yeah, well, exactly, yeah. Hilarity, flavo- frivolity, frivolity all touching the bottoms. Yes. And prawn cocktail. And prawn cocktail. Exactly. And <laughs> um, so, obviously, uh, we'll, we'll turn to India now, because you've got your Comfort and Joy book, mm. which is essentially based around this time of year, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Um, why did you decide to do that? Interesting. When I was at school, I had maybe two other friends whose parents were divorced and I had maybe three other friends who had step-brothers and sisters, mm. step-siblings is what I'm trying to say. And it was really quite unusual. And now it's absolutely the norm. You know, all my children across this sort of huge age gap live in um, extended families or, or depleted families or of one kind or the other. So I thought the combination of ends of relationships, children, Christmas and what you do at the one time of year where you're all supposed to gather together in you know, a great gathering of the clan, I wanted to explore what happened in situations where families were fragmented. And, you know, there's also a kind of heavily autobiographical element to all this because I have Christmas at my house every year. There are sort of about 20 of us. And I don't cull people on the grounds that I'm no longer intimately involved with them so I have and so who would you have there I have I have the ex-mothers-in-law and the ex um uh what would you call them brothers and sisters-in-law sometimes and the I mean the whole you know going back some time but that's presumably because the two people I've had children with not kind of generally but presumably that's because you get on with them I mean part of the problem it's absolutely that I get on with them but but it's also that I think it's very important for I'm I'm not a kind of uh, big traditionalist in any other way but I think it's important for my children to maintain these relationships with people who they are related to by blood you know even though I may no longer be related to them by marriage they remain my children's grandparents or uncles or aunts or whatever and I think 
that there's something horribly sad about kind of chopping away all of that just because you, the adult, has failed in the relationship. Yeah, I think um, the older I get, the more I think that Christmas needs to be a bit more than just your immediate family because if it's just your immediate family, you end up being really rude to each other because you're used to being rude to each other because it's your immediate family, you know? I mean, you spend all day with them. Why would you... Why was this day any different? Whereas if you bring in, like... I don't know, kind of uh, brothers or even mm. friends. Mm. I find that in the end, you you all behave better. You kind of up you your game to... a bit. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes. Definitely. Yeah, and you, you know, maybe put on a different outfit. Yeah, and maybe close your mouth <laughs> when you burp. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> that kind of thing. Don't get quite so drunk, quite so early, or yeah. bring up bad, you know, kind of past rounds. Yeah. Maybe I should just invite everybody from the street, rather like the Nightingale Estate. Get them all up. Get them all about the old people. It might be great. <laughs> yes. I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered about these young people. I just want the old ones Go to roaming come the over. Streets, scoring old people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You look like you might be fun with a few sherries, and you're coming round to mine. <laughs> And now we turn to our regular family playlist, this month supplied by writer Lem Sisse. An acclaimed poet and author, Lem was a presenter of the BBC's first National Poetry Slam in 2005 and has just returned from a tour in South Africa. Born near Wigan to an Ethiopian mum, Lem was fostered until he was 11 and then spent the next six years in various child homes in Lancashire. From then on, he spent life searching for his family. By the age of 32, he had found them all. And now, in his own words, he has a fully dysfunctional family just like everyone else. Here's his playlist. My first track is Cold by Annie Lennox. Because I've been searching for my family all my life, I found my mother, and she found it difficult to to communicate with me um, because I was the same age that she last saw my father. And what age was that? I was 21. My father would have been about 24 or so when I was conceived, and that was the last time she saw him. He died in 74, a few years later. So after all that search of all my life of searching for her, I realised that she didn't see me, she saw him. I remember that moment when she separated from me, and it was shortly after meeting her at the front of the house, she said, I've got a visitor, can we not talk about this? So I'd hugged her outside and then she walked inside the house and she sat down and I had to make polite conversation with the visitor. And how did she introduce you to the visitor then? I was, uh, well I was a visitor, I was a cousin, I became a cousin. Oh how devastating. A cousin. It was sat in the front room knowing that she was watching me while I made polite conversation with the visitor. But these words of this song... Um, run to me, come to me, do and be done with me. Cold, cold, cold. And then she, Annie Lennox talks about diving into the pools of the person's eyes and um, and that's all I wanted and it's all I, I couldn't have. It's all I'd search for. Cold is the colour of crystal The snowline that falls from the heavenly sky What happened after that with your mum? Did she come round to you or...? I now have a fully dysfunctional relationship with my... <laughs> with my mother. 
you know. So now it's a lifelong journey to slowly allow her to understand me and me to understand her. I was aware while I was in care in the children's homes that something wrong had happened to me. I became aware that I was black and everybody I knew was white, which gave me a question at least. That's all it gave me. Why is this the case? Everybody loves the children's homes from a distance. Yeah. Well, they're so lovely from the outside. They are. We, we get <laughs> supper and we get, you know, we get hot chocolate at 8 o'clock in the evening and stuff. But I poured Airfix paint out of the turret, this turret at the top of the children's home, down the, down the little bit of roof that the turret was on. It could hardly be seen. Um, I didn't know until I made this radio documentary last year that I was locked away. I was put in a virtual prison for boys with remand, who, boys who were in for murdering people, um, for a year because of that one incident. It was my rebellion. It was an implosion. It was, a, it was a way of expressing myself without hurting anybody because when I was put into care at 11 years old, I was told the devil was inside of me. So the second track you've chosen, you chose because it reminds you of the time that you were in the remand home between 16 and 17. Is that right? We, we had like an hour of recreational time which we would spend in a recreational room. It had a record player in it. I didn't listen to this song in my head as much as I played it, the survival album. album spoke to me and it spoke to me on an emotional level and could you be loved uh, all of those political tracks to have could you be loved next to them said everything about who or what I was somebody who wore a frown and had to work out why shit was happening to him and at the same time simply wanted to be loved should we talk about your third record what did you pick well I picked um I might say this wrong because I always get it but I picked Swan of Lake Tuanila. It's, by it's one of those. It's those words that you always see written down, and nobody ever says to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just one big swirl of sky and sea and all of the elements, you know, and dust, and um, it's utterly captivating. And it's like being in the calm in the middle of a whirlwind and watching all of your life picked up and spun around you and on one hand you want to just look in awe and wonder at how you're together to be able to experience this sight and on the other hand you just want to dive in and be part of the damage And I used it also for a documentary where, about Edgar Allan Poe that I made for Radio 3. And the reason I did that is because Edgar Allan Poe had lost both of his parents. 
And it was the perfect music to describe what it feels to be uh, still and amongst great loss. And uh, it's really important for me to tell you that I'm okay, but that these things happen to me. To not have family, that's none. Brothers, sister, aunts, uncle, cousins, grandparents, no one person. To have nobody is to understand what family is. And essentially it is about the moments which you don't notice. I remember somebody saying to me about having children that it's not the quality time that you spend with them, it's quantity. You just have to be there with the fish fingers and the watching the telly and the putting to bed and the relentlessness of family life. That's what it is. It's that accumulative effect of being there. Even being there in your head. That relationship is constantly there with your child, even if they're not visible to you right now. And that was Lem Sissé with his family playlist. That's all for this month's family podcast. My thanks to my guests, Louisa Dilner and India Knight. Good luck with your book. Thank you very much. And good luck with your, well, your baby and your family and And your marriage. marriage. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) And uh, to Lem Sissé also. And for respite from your own family festive traumas, turn to the family section of The Guardian every Saturday. From me, Miranda Sawyer, and my producer, Sarah Peters, happy holidays and goodbye. Now it's the next instalment of the Children's Guide to Bringing Up Parents, brought to you by JUMP, the savings fund for children. Today, creating clear boundaries. That's right, Becky. To ensure healthy development, parents have to understand there is a clear dividing line between right and wrong, and they must know what will happen if they cross it. Too true, Alexander. Take bedtime. Sending us off before 10pm is not acceptable, and neither is waking us up before 10am at weekends. Unless it's our birthday. Then there's the question of spending hours and hours in front of the computer screen. Most parents do far too much of this. However, they may spend as long as they like at jumpsavings.com, setting up savings accounts that will turn into tidy little sums for when we're older. Show your approval by praising them for it. Not too much, mind. You don't want to spoil them. Find out more about Jump, the savings fund for children, at www.jumpsavings.com. As Jump is an equity investment in Witten Investment Trust PLC, please remember that past performance is not a guide to future performance, and the value of your shares and the income from them can rise and fall, so you may not get back the amount originally invested. Issued and approved by Witten Investment Services Limited, registered in England number 5272533 of 201 Bishopsgate, London, EC2M3AE. Witten Investment Services Limited provides investment products and services and is authorised and regulated by the Financial Services Authority. Calls may be recorded for our mutual protection and to improve customer service.